Hi, I'm Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. Welcome to Shifting Ears, the internal podcast that we're starting here at Valley Metro. Talking about all things transit, transportation, and everything you need to know about the agency, behind the scenes, and some upfront stuff you may not know about. Madeline, what are you seeing across the world in terms of transportation and just how it's changed throughout this COVID-19 situation? So it's really interesting taking a look at transit and systems across the world. There's been a lot of interesting research coming out in countries that are heavily transit dependent on how COVID-19 is or is not spreading on transit systems. Countries that have really high transit ridership are doing a lot of work on contact tracing so they can really isolate where clusters of COVID-19 infections come from. There was one study done in France between May 9th and June 3rd where 150 clusters of new coronavirus cases emerged, and they defined a cluster as three or more cases of COVID-19 linked by contact. So a lot of these clusters occurred in the places that you might think. So healthcare facilities, workplaces, homeless shelters, those are all places where people are mixing together in enclosed spaces for a long period of time. Guess what the surprising thing was that they found? What did they find, Maddie? For that entire nearly a month, there was not a single COVID-19 cluster that emerged on France's six metro systems, 26 tram and light rail networks or their urban bus routes. To me, that sounds like great news for transit. Well, and especially because France is so dependent on public transportation. You don't have the influx of car-centric mentality there that you do here in the United States. Everyone uses transit to get places. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the beginning, during their stay-home order, public transportation took a huge hit, just like it has here in the United States. But they've now gone back to more of their ridership in comparison to the United States. Yes. Unfortunately, we're seeing our cases in Arizona, of course, spike strongly for COVID-19. But across the country in general, we slowed the curve and now it's heading back up. Whereas in Europe and Asia, they're adding more and more businesses, more and more sectors. So there has started to become more ridership as those different businesses open. In Asia, we've seen the pictures. There are people that are smash-packed in these cars. Are they social distancing on those vehicles, or are they just using that face covering as their main strategy to combat COVID-19 in the public transportation? Well, there was another study reported in Science Magazine about Japan lifting its state of emergency in late May. Most of their infection clusters were connected to gyms, bars, music clubs, karaoke rooms. And again, they didn't trace any of them to the famously crowded commuter trains. One of their directors of health there said they really think the key takeaways are lack of talking. I'm sure that's similar for us here in the U.S. You don't usually get on for your daily commute and just start shouting up everyone around you. People are usually occupied doing something, not a lot of talking and spreading any viral particles that you may happen to have. So everyone just needs to take the elevator approach. It's just no talking. Avert your gaze. Don't look at anyone. (laughs) Not what we normally would be saying, but, you know, these are desperate times, so desperate measures. Another thing to highlight is that face coverings seem to have worked. That's something that's pretty ingrained in society and culture, and that seems to have worked, even though you would have assumed that transit was a major spreader. That really hasn't been found to be the case. I know I've talked a lot about other places in the world, but there is some research being done very close to us in one of our peer agencies in Denver, and they're coming to some of the similar findings. 
Dr. Bill Berman, who's the director of Denver Public Health, said that he thinks mass transit is a perfectly safe alternative if we're, as individuals and as a community, doing the basics, which include wearing a face covering at all times for passengers and operators, keeping a distance from other passengers, using hand sanitizer or wipes after riding, and then again, staying quiet as conversation, especially with no yelling and singing, tend to increase the spread of the virus. The tagline they used is, a quiet car is a safer car. Something that this article noted about Denver, which is the same case for us in Phoenix, at least on the light rail, is since our platforms are above ground, you also have more of an increase in ventilation because we're not underground like subway systems. So we have the added benefit of the train stopping at platforms, people waiting outside at platforms. Even though it's super hot here, there is more increase in air and circulation and everything. New York City has actually seen an uptick in their bus ridership because they're realizing that using the bus system gives them that opportunity to stand in the open air and not be so confined underground. And I think that's also something that's come up in Washington, D.C., because I was listening to a webinar and the director of WMATA said that they have also seen an uptick in their bus service and reduced service on their subway and rail lines because of the difference in how people are using transit right now. So I do think our light rail is a great place that while sometimes people wish it wasn't on the street at this time during this pandemic, it is a blessing that we do have those open air platforms for people to be a little bit safer at, especially when they're wearing their face coverings. We've all, I'm sure at times, been confused, certainly concerned, stressed, nervous. It's really hard to keep track of how much it seems like research and what we know is changing. But I mean, that makes sense. This is a new virus. We just need to keep up to date and stay informed about new findings where new research is being done. And hopefully we can take these new studies as a shred of comfort in a really uncertain time. We're seeing positive findings, and it's becoming more and more clear what the major causes of the spread of COVID-19 are. Yeah, and I think as we reopen and we learn more about the coronavirus, people are going to feel more comfortable to come back to public transit in the United States. And I just want people to remember that you can keep everyone safe by continuing to follow the guidelines washing your hands, keeping your face covering on, no matter what public transit system you're going to be on, whether it's here, Europe, Asia, it's about respecting those around you. And while obviously we might not see that from all of our riders all of the time, public safety is top priority right now. And I think that eventually public transit will be the thriving community connector that it continues to be. Shifting ears is about a lot of different things, but most importantly, it's about the people who make up Valley Metro. So we're introducing a new, hopefully recurring segment called Ask the CEO. Send in your burning questions that you have for our CEO, Scott Smith. And these aren't just agency questions, Betty. You can ask him anything. What do you want to know about his personal life? He'll tell you all about his grandkids. I know he will. So send them to podcast at valleymetro.org. This pandemic has caused many different departments to look at how they're doing their daily operations and really switch things up. And so we wanted to take the show on the road and get some agency insight from outside the 101 building. And so we sent our producer, Mathar, to go get some extra interviews. Hello, I'm Rob Rosenberg. I'm the superintendent of LRV Maintenance. My name is Scott Wisner. I'm the bus service delivery manager. 
Thank you so much for the introduction. This week, I was able to talk with Rob and Scott about their biggest obstacles in dealing with this. They've both been working in the trenches since this happened, and both of them had so much insight as to what the challenges are in the field when you are trying to provide essential services to the public while still keeping your department and your employees safe. One of the things we had to do initially was juggle the need of being there for our contractors and to try to help them, but then also protect the health and safety of my staff. And so initially what we did was we divided up into two different groups and some of us worked out of the Tempe garage and some of us worked out of the Mesa garage. That way, if any one of us got sick, our whole department wouldn't be shut down. So we did that first. And then as things started to settle down more and the state began to prepare for reopening in May, we brought the staff back into the office and have been working out of the two different garages since that time. So it's a delicate balance, but I think we've been able to do it safely by educating our staff of how important it is to be diligent about your actions at home and how they may impact your ability to perform your work. We haven't had a pandemic before. It's not like we had a playbook to go off of and tons of reference. The floodgates burst open. It was a hectic time and it was a challenging time because we had to really work on our communication with our employees. There were many legitimate concerns about them coming in to work every day when the public, for the most part, was working from home or not at work. So how do you handle that? How do you explain that, yes, maybe the safest thing to do is to work from home, but we can't do that? Probably most of you in the 101 building were sent home. I know I was there the week that it really hit and they told no one to come in on Monday, but they have been out there the entire time. We had many conversations that were tough conversations. You know, is this the right thing for them? They're putting themselves at increased risk. I'm fortunate to say that we had very few employee losses from that, but we really had to craft our message, explain the importance of what we do every day, and to make sure that we kept doing what we needed to do. And that's why our frontline staff is so essential. They are the ones who are putting themselves out there with the public every day. And whether it's LRV maintenance or being an operator, they're definitely still having some interaction. But to that point, they're the ones that have to go in all the time. There's no way an LRV is getting maintenance from your garage of your home. You know, I've thrown myself into my work, but I'm also working from home. And there have definitely been days where I got up and just couldn't do it. Scott was saying that they expected massive callouts during this time. They thought for sure they were going to have like drivers who were deeply concerned about their safety call out. And he said it was relatively low. Most drivers were really just fully engaged in doing their job and making it safe for the public. Everybody went about their business and continued to provide service at exceptional levels, really. It was, it was quite extraordinary. Like I said, we didn't miss service. We didn't have massive call-offs. We had people showing up, ready to work. And what I'd like to see happen is that there continue to be a lot of recognition to those people and thank everybody for that service because it really was so critical to this area. As a public information specialist, I was almost preparing for kind of an operator shortage and how we would handle that on the service side and communicating that to our writers. And that's something that I've been able to keep in my back pocket and not have to use during this time. You know, a crisis can impact people in a lot of ways, but I think it can also be a really crystallizing time for an organization to say, hey, look, we're going to come together. We're going to remember what our values are. We all have different jobs and we can all 
live out those values in different ways in the different fields that we're working in. I do think that all of the people that I've worked with take a lot of pride in knowing that they are, you know, essential workers and essential service. Everybody that I know takes great pride in that. I think that pride comes from the amount of support that these individuals and their departments are getting from the agency because it's so essential. Because of this, we've had a lot more interaction with HR if we've had to deal with employee issues in COVID. On top of that, we've also seen kind of an increase in our safety and security department, the communication there. I think in the end, you're dealing with an abnormal situation with these groups, but I think it pays dividends in the long run because you are strengthening the ties and the communication amongst the agency. That reminds me of kind of early on when the fogging started happening. We really wanted to capture video of that so that we could show riders, hey, look, we're stepping up our disinfecting and cleaning. And of course, that happens overnight, sometimes between the hours of like 2 and 4 a.m. But, you know, thanks to Rob's help and his team in coordination, we were able to watch that whole process, go in and take video when it first happened. So, yeah, it's just amazing thinking about how much goes into every single trip now from the human capital that's required to the cleaning to maintaining and just all the effort that's been required and how all of our staff has really stepped up. Maybe a lot of people don't know, but we've always had a pretty intensive disinfection program. Every night when the trains come in, we've always used a special Virex chemical to disinfect all the high-touch surfaces. So we've been doing that for over 10 years. Since the outbreak of COVID, we've gone to a fogging disinfectant on top of our normal daily disinfectant. It disinfects when they fog it, but it also has properties that continue to kill viruses up to 30 days after we do the disinfection. I can't imagine having 10 years of processes. This is the way we do things. We do it the same way every time we refine it. It's perfect. And then something like a pandemic completely throws that into question. And now you're thinking, well, we thought we were doing well. And it's not like you get to have a bunch of trials and time to figure out what works best. It's like, guess what? Overnight, we need to figure this out. Let's go right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you just really have to rise to that challenge. We had a routine for 10 years of the way we clean vehicles. We didn't think about it. So even if you don't have something like COVID, how can we do a little better by the public? Maybe to disinfect the LRVs in that way is a benefit to the public and and really to our employees. So we went ahead and we invested in some fogging equipment of our own, did some research on some of the best chemicals to use doing that. So we're working on implementing a program to be able to disinfect the LRVs long after the COVID's done. So we'll put that as part of our regular routine maintenance. And I think it's good for the public as well as our employees. The bread and butter of public transportation is passengers and service. And sometimes you kind of overlook the service because it's just running so well. And I think this is one of those times that you kind of take a step back and appreciate the service more and how they have been doing such a great job of running it and keeping it going smoothly throughout this whole pandemic. And that just goes back to Scott and Rob's leadership and what they've had to do on a day-to-day basis just to keep everything running. One topic of conversation that came up was the health barrier. And I know you both know what I'm referring to, but did you know that it was pitched by a writer? We received a video from this lady from Tempe, just a citizen, who had uh, thought of this great idea of like, hey, I got a way to protect the drivers. And she made this homemade curtain. It was a shower curtain that she installed in one of the buses and videotaped her opening and closing the curtain. And 
couple months later, we're like, hey, you know, that curtain idea wasn't such a bad idea, you know? I think that's such a great story of thinking on your feet, being innovative, taking information that comes to you. I mean, the fact that Scott took this idea and ran with it, I think is a really great example of his leadership and his vision. You know, when we first started discussing front door boardings, the reaction region-wide was, oh, we can't do that. We can't close the front door. We can't go away from collecting fares. Well, we can, and we did. Sometimes we just have to open our minds and realize that some things are more important than others. And I think the health and safety of our employees should be number one on our list at all times. The one thing that this has kind of shown me is how important the relationship is with the employees. The day-to-day stuff, not only during the pandemic, but when you have an abnormal situation, if you treat them with respect, care, concern, when they come back, what I've seen is continued or even an increased commitment to Valley Metro. Those sort of interactions and how we dealt with it on an individual basis is truly going to pay dividends by strengthening the teamwork, strengthening a commitment to Valley Metro, having a true understanding of how important our day-to-day mission is. So I think handling individuals correctly as a group strengthens the bond within Valley Metro. If it's not one thing, it's another. And I think everyone feels that way with the pandemic, whether it's COVID, social injustice, murder hornets, we're not quite sure. We just keep moving. We just keep trucking along. I think that was one of my biggest takeaways hearing these conversations with Scott and Rob was just how much they were challenged to innovate on the fly and how great of a job they've been doing at just that. They're proud to be essential. They are happy to be keeping these communities running and going. No matter the service level we're providing, they're here day after day to do their job. It takes a village, right? And we certainly, I think, have a great village here at Valley Metro who are willing to get done what we need to get done. Thanks for sticking with us on our second episode of Shifting Ears. We're so happy to have you with us. And don't forget to tell your coworkers. Send all of your questions, comments, suggestions to our email address, podcast at valleymetro.org. I'm Brittany. And I'm Madeline. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop.